Will you make your way to Luke chapter 2 this morning? Luke chapter 2, again, we are in a simple series of sermons uh, for this Christmas season that we've entitled The Gift of Christmas. And I love that imagery. I love that visual the gift, and, and there's a biblical basis for this. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable, I kind of like the old King James, unspeakable gift. And then you have Jesus talking there to the woman at Jacob's well in John 4, and Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then, of course, the best known must love verse in all of the Bible, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? That's right. He gave. And so Christmas is a gift, and his name is Jesus. Let's read about him here this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says there, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, the clock is ticking. The days are counting down to the most wonderful time of the year. As a matter of fact, I, I, I know that some of you, mostly men if I were betting, are running out of days to do your Christmas shopping. And, and I thought this morning, I, I thought I would help you. And so I want to be a blessing. You've been a blessing to me for over the last decade. And so I thought I would be a blessing to you this morning and just try to help you as you're trying to figure out what to get your wife for Christmas, just finding the right thing. Because here's the thing, I don't know if you know this, Running to Walmart or Walgreens or CVS on Christmas Eve is not the best thing to do. How many of y'all know that? Can I see your hands, right? And so what I thought I would do this morning is I would give you some guidelines. I would give you some pointers, some suggestions to try to help make sure that you don't blow it again uh, this year like perhaps you did last year. And so I, I came up with a, a list of about nine things. And I have entitled these a Christmas gift-giving guide for helpless husbands. Ladies, how do you like that, right? And so a Christmas gift-giving guide for helpless husbands. And so, uh, guys, I need you to borrow a pen from your wife. She's got it in that humongous bag. Uh, just get a pen out there. And I want you to take some notes here this morning and write a few things down. These are going to help you, uh, again, as you're getting closer uh, to Christmas Eve. And just kind of help you. this So here's the first thing, guys. Remember that when buying a gift for your wife, Always, always, always keep the receipt. Because contrary to popular male myth, women are not picky. Men just don't have very good taste. And so make sure you keep the receipt. Number two, wrapping a small gift in a series of progressively larger boxes, ending with the one that your refrigerator came in, is not going to score you any brownie points with the missus. And so just kind of write that down somewhere. Uh, number three, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian. She's not going to want that. Number four, this is a biggie. D don't, don't miss this. 
I don't have time after the first of the year for marital counseling. Now, we might get you Miss Charlotte over there, uh, but so don't miss this one, all right? Number four, don't buy clothing that involves sizes. Because the chances are one in 7,000 that you're going to get her size right and your wife's going to be offended for the other 6,999 times, right? Just trying to help you. Number five, avoid all things useful. Because that silver polish that you saw advertised on Facebook that said it's going to save hundreds and hundreds of hours, she's not going to want that, all right? She's not going to want that silver polish, not going to win you her favorite. Number six, Boy, this is another big one. Make sure you write this one down. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement if you really want to have a Merry Christmas. Number seven, don't buy jewelry. No, no, no. Did somebody get a little excited right there? No, no, I'm seriously. Don't buy jewelry, and here's why. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford, and the jewelry you can afford, your wife doesn't want. Right? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that I wrote this one down, but just bear with me. Number eight, whatever you do, don't fall into the trap of buying her frilly, lacy underwear. Your idea of what she should wear and what she actually wants to wear are light years apart. <laughs> Landing the plane, number nine. If it's used for cleaning, painting, yard work, gardening, or other household chores, it probably doesn't fit the best description and definition of gift, right? And so I'm trying to help you this morning, guys. Those are some things that you need to keep in mind. If I went too fast for you, you can just go watch it on Facebook or, or on the church website later on this week, and you cannot make those mistakes that you have made. So American Express conducted a survey of Americans. And in that survey, they asked Americans, what is the worst holiday gift that you've ever received? And you probably already know what it is, but fruitcake was listed as the number one worst gift ever to receive. As a matter of fact, it even got more votes than, quote, no gift at all. So folks would rather have nothing than that fruitcake that you think is the greatest thing in all of the world. As a matter of fact, in that survey, they asked Americans how they dispose of bad gifts. 30% said that they hide it away in a closet, and that explains so much at my house. Amen? Then you have 19% who said that they re-gifted or give it away. 21% said that they would just return it. Now, you come to Abilene, and so you're smarter than the average bear. And I try to give you things that you're not going to get at other places. Most theologians don't know that there was actually a fourth wise man that showed up on that first Christmas night. But they didn't even allow him in the stable because he came bearing fruitcake. And so they didn't even let him in. They didn't let him in that, in that night. And so that, that explains a lot, right? So... Since we're talking about giving gifts, John Maxwell says that there are basically three different kinds of gifts, and you need to write these down. These are important. Number one, there's the gift for a gift gift. And here's how this one works. Someone that you weren't planning on getting anything for gets something for you. 
and they come and they give you a gift, and now you've got to figure out what you're going to do. So you go online, you figure out how much it costs, and then you go and get them a gift that matches basically about how much it costs the, 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 the gift that they gave you. And then you go and you give it to them, and so they kind of keep this running tally here. They gave you a gift, you give them a gift, they've got to give you a gift back. And so what they're doing is they're keeping score, they're, they're keeping a tally. Or you can even flip it around. Uh, you, you got them something nice, and they didn't get you anything at all, and so you're keeping score, they're keeping score, and there's this running tally. Businesses love this kind of a stuff. And every single Christmas, I mean, on the day before Christmas, there are going to be literally hundreds of thousands of people in this whole region of the world that are going to head to the malls, and they're going to run to that mall just at the last minute, and they just have to, because they've got to get a gift for a gift gift so they can turn it into a gift for a gift 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 gift. How many of y'all got what I just said? Amen. So that's the gift for a gift gift. By the way, since we're in the neighborhood, my friend Franklin Kirksey posted this past week, he said, some businessmen are saying that this could be the greatest Christmas ever. Funny, I always kind of thought the first one was. Right? So there's the gift for a gift gift. But then there is the for a favor gift, or you might call this the tip for a tap gift. And, and here's the way it works. And so the person gives this gift, and when they give you this gift, they don't expect you to give them a gift back. Matter of fact, they don't want it back. What they want to do is they want to give you a gift that is so nice, so extravagant, that you owe them a favor. How many of y'all have somebody in your family that does this every year? Can I say, there you go. And so they, they give you this gift. And, and businessmen, sales guys do this all the time. At this time of the year, they're going to take you to play golf. They're going to take you quail hunting in South Georgia. They're going to get you something really nice to put on your desk so that the rest of the year, as you're looking at this really nice thing on your desk, you're reminded that they gave it to you and you owe them your, your loyalty, your support, your silence, or your continued business throughout the year. And here's the last one. And uh, this is where we're going to be camping out uh, this morning. And this is the kind of gift that we should give when we give and it's what I call the grace gift you say what kind of gift is that well the best way to describe a grace gift is with just one word it's unrepayable it's unrepayable you can't pay it back Dr. Rogers used to say that on that first Christmas night God gave us so much more than we could ever possibly give back to him and here's what a grace gift means the giver knows you well the giver has put a lot of thought into the gift, and then it is impossible for you to measure the cost of this gift. And that's exactly the kind of gift that was given on that first Christmas night. It was the grace of God, a God who knows us better than we know ourselves, a God who had been planning this since before the foundation of the world, and a God who gave us a gift that was so valuable, so expensive, so precious, the greatest gift that has ever been given, His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And it was the grace of God that give, gave us the gift of Christmas, Christ coming into the world. How many of you all were in the matinee? Anybody in the matinee presentation yesterday? Anybody in the matinee presentation yesterday? So we were asking them what kind of song and why everybody was sitting in the balcony. And there was a little boy or girl over in this section who said, yes, we're here for the 12 days of Christmas. Yes. Jesus is God's greatest gift. And so with all of that in mind, look there in verse 11. I'm going to unpack it real quickly here this morning to see what kind of grace gift God 
has given to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Luke 2, verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As we begin to unwrap this swaddling package this morning, here's the very first thing that I want you to see. And that is the fact that Jesus is the gift of love. Jesus is the gift of love. Listen one more time to what that angel told those simple shepherds. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but those words sound a lot like to me words that an angel, maybe even the same angel, told Joseph during a dream. The angel came to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, and he said, And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You say, okay, I get that. So Jesus was the Savior, and he came to save us from our sins. But what does that have to do with love? Look right here. It has everything to do with love. Go back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, we know that verse, right? We can say it in our sleep, say it backwards and forwards. We can gloss right over it. We can say the words without even thinking what they mean. So that's why I think it's good for us to maybe drop down to that next verse, verse 17, to kind of put it in context because verse 17 says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, did you catch what he just said? Did you catch that? God loved us so much that he gave us the best, most precious gift that has ever been given, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. An unmistakable gift and unmistakable matchable gift and unmerited gift. I heard about a a letter that arrived at the North Pole about this time last year. Santa Claus got the letter and Santa Claus opened it up and here's what this letter had to say. Dear Santa, there are three boys living in my house. Jeffrey is two, David is four, and Norman is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good most of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. Signed, Norman. (laughs) You know our problem? You know the problem we have? None of us are Norman. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He goes on to say in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Titus has this to say. Titus says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. In other words, we didn't do anything to deserve it. According to His loving, His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So if you're new to Abilene, I'm a, I'm a history buff. My undergrad is history. I love history. I love stories. One of the reasons why Mac Brunson's my favorite, one of my favorite preachers is because Mac is always going to start off his sermons with this tremendous historical illustration. It's a great thing to do. 
A matter of fact, I, I saw a book a couple of weeks ago by Arnold Toynbee. I was with Os Guinness and Leonard Sweet in, in Orlando two weeks ago now. And uh, Os Guinness talks about, reminded me of Arnold Toynbee's book on history, the history of the world. And I want to get a copy. So I went out and found it. And on Facebook, or on, on, on Amazon rather, it looked like it was just a normal book. And I bought it. Oh, it ain't a normal book. It's the size of that pulpit. But now, the neat thing about it, it's an illustrated history of the world, and it has all these pictures in there. So for a boy from West Tennessee, that kind of helps. Pictures are good. But the problem is, is that all of the writing and the, the information is little bit blocks all around these pictures all the way through the book. And so I, I get kind of caught off guard. I'm, I'm reading, and I see, oh, picture. Back during World War II, sad story. There was an aircraft carrier in the North Atlantic that was being hunted by several submarines. The captain of the aircraft carrier knew they were in trouble. He sent out five of his best pilots and five of his best planes to see if they could figure out where these submarines were. The pilots took off. The captain began to think even more about how dangerous of a position they were in because of how those submarines could could get to them and destroy them and so he told everybody hey no sound and no light at all no light at all not one light on the entire aircraft carrier planes go out search reconnoiter they're headed back their radio and said hey we're headed back we need some light to land and the radio operator said i'm sorry captain said no lights another pilot said hey we just need some light to land. Radar operator, I'm sorry. Pilot said, total blackout, no light. Frantically, a third pilot said, just give us one light to land. And the radio operator said, I'm sorry, not one light. And according to the story, those pilots, some of America's finest, lost their lives because not one light. I heard that story and I thought, how much, like that, how much that story was like us? You and I are in a dark, dangerous, desperate world. And into that dark, dangerous, desperate world, you and I have this light that has come. And, and so, you, by the way, by, remember what A.W. Tozer said? A.W. Tozer, he, he said this, and I love this. Dr. Rogers told us this. Dr. Rogers said, he said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness and so he sent a savior the angel said to them in verse 10 do not be afraid for i bring you good news of great joy which will be to all people and you know the great news that that angel delivered that night is that god loved you so much that he gave jesus so that my sins and your sins could be forgiven jesus is the gift of god's love but look what he goes on to say. He says in verse 11, he goes on to say, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is literally the Christ. And so again, Jesus is the gift of God's love. And as we talked about a moment ago, Jesus is the gift of God's light. You say, well, where do you see that? Well, it's in the word Christ. The word Christ is the word Messiah, the anointed one. It's the word that Isaiah and Daniel and all those guys in the Old Testament had been talking about for years. Matter of fact, when you open up the pages of the New Testament, you've got this guy named John the Baptist. How many of y'all remember John the Baptist? Can I see your hand? Remember John the Baptist? This, this wild-eyed, wild-haired, locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, 
uh, repentance preaching preacher from the backside of nowhere. John the Baptist walks onto the pages of the New Testament and everybody's thinking, well, that's the Messiah, that's the anointed one. No, not true. Because John says in John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. You see this in some of our favorite Christmas verses. Matter of fact, uh, guys, would you give that pen back to your wife where you wrote down that list earlier? And if you don't have a pen, ask her if you can borrow her pen, her, her pencil, eyeliner, lipstick, mascara, and, and just jot down some of these verses. These are my favorite verses for this time of the year. Uh, you've got Isaiah 9-2, Isaiah looking down for, toward that time when Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then Isaiah tells us who the light is when he says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given. Jesus is that light that Isaiah prophesied about then you got Zacharias Zacharias the father of John the Baptist looking forward to the coming of the Savior into the world he says in Luke chapter 1 beginning of verse 78 through the tender mercy of our God which the day spring that's a title for the Lord Jesus from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace you got Isaiah and Zacharias you got Simeon that dear old man of God, he picked up the baby Jesus and he blessed the baby Jesus and he says in Luke chapter 2, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. Think about that. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding up the baby Jesus, looking into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ and saying, you have, you have, I have seen your, your salvation. Verse 31 which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You see this in some of our favorite Christmas verses. You hear it in some of our favorite Christmas songs. Silent night isn't about the night. Silent night is about the light. As a matter of fact, one stanza in that song even says, Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Another stanza adds these words, Darkness flies and all is light. Hark the herald angel sing, which by the way is my favorite Christmas song, right? Hark the herald angel sing has a stanza that says this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son, S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. No wonder John so simply and succinctly says in John 3, 19, that light has come into the world. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that light has come into the world? When, what did Jesus mean when in the middle of that Feast of Tabernacles, as they were lighting those candles, what did it mean when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? What does light tell us about the gift of Christmas, Jesus Christ? 
It tells us about his purity. That Jesus is totally, completely, absolutely incorruptible. It tells us about his constancy. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It tells us about his victory. Darkness has no power over light. And it tells us about his glory, that he is the Shekinah glory of God. One of my favorite verses. Are y'all still there this morning? Y'all kind of tired, aren't you? Matthew 4, 16 says this. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is the gift of God's love. Jesus is the gift of God's light. And Jesus is the gift of God's life. Listen, one last time, Luke 2, 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. My pastor Adrian Rogers always said that Jesus Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And that's true. John says in 1 John 5, 12, John says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 2,000 years ago, when that little baby boy was born to that virgin in Bethlehem, that baby was born to die so that those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin might live. So let me ask you a question as we close. Do you know the love of God? His name is Jesus. Do you have the light of the world living in your heart? If you do, it drives out darkness, it drives out despair, it drives out danger. And do you have the life that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again for you to have?